Hey video game fans, I'm Push Dustin, and this is Memory Card. Ben decided to take today off in order to recharge, so I brought on a special guest. I'll be talking to Dai. Dai runs a Facebook page called Monkeys Over Rhinos, where him and his friends talk about anime and gaming. So please go ahead and check that out if you enjoy this episode. So how are you doing today, Dai? Hi guys, uh, I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm a bit nervous just because English isn't my native language. And it's kind of a big topic, if I'm being honest, talking about Goose. Yeah. It's an honor being here and I hope I can make you guys appreciate Ghost as much as the Latin America community does. Yep, so as I mentioned, we'll be talking about um, Gus Rodriguez, who un unfortunately passed away in 2020, just very recently. But we want to honor him because uh, he's so important to Latin American gamers. It's, it's not really a group of gamers that are really talked about in English. And so we hope that we can bring more information to you guys. So, uh, Dai, uh, who exactly is this Gus Rodriguez? Let me tell you, Gus Rodriguez was born in May 27th, 1958. He sadly passed recently, April 10th, 2020, as you said. He was a lot of things. He was a publicist, a journalist, an actor, a screenwriter, a producer, a director, but overall, he was a gamer and, as we call him, our godfather. Oh really? So he's been he had a lot of positions. He he was doing a lot of things at one time. Yes, a a bunch of stuff. He was really into a lot of the stuff that we love today. He's one of the men of the many men in charge of building the nineties for us the geek guys <laughs> mm. here in Latin America. But yeah. let's talk video games. Okay. Gus claimed his love for video games start on nineteen seventy five, the first time he played Nessa Punk. For those that don't mm -hmm. know, Nessa Punk is the Mexican version of one of those many punk clones. Oh, okay, is there anything uh, particularly different about it, or is it just a, a straight-up punk clone? If you introduce it, certain kind of jellies, the color changes. Oh, okay. He started in the 70s, and a few years later he started to study publicity. Mm -hmm. He was part of the first generation on the Centro de Estudios de Ciencia de la Comunicación, Center of Communication Science of Studies. Okay, is that uh, a, a recognized school? Is that an important school in, in Mexico? Not really, but it's important for the story of Goose just to know that he where he studied. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but it's important because there he knew Pepe Sierra. Pepe Sierra mm -hmm. is as important as Goose, and sometimes I feel that people don't talk as much about him, but it's mainly because he was... He is still... He still is somewhere more reserved. He doesn't like camera as much as Goose enjoyed. Ah, uh, yeah. Goose was um, much more out out there and, and in front of things, right? Yes, yes, yes. I will get into that more later, but yeah, Pepe Sierra was as important as Goose. And they, and they both knew each other during the college years, during, during university. And they started their friendship. They bonded through video games, through geeky stuff, through work. They they became really good friends. Mm -hmm. Together, they founded Network, an advertising agency. And they gathered a lot of important clients. This is one of the reasons why I consider Goose, and of course Pepe Sierra, 
or Mexican equivalent of Reggie Fields a mí. They weren't just gamers, they knew how to sell a product and when they found something awesome that wasn't being paid enough attention, they knew how to sell it. So they were kind of like one of the first uh, video game publicists in, in uh, Mexico and by extension Latin America, right? They weren't the first ones, but they were the most important ones. Okay. Years after Nessa Punk, he got an Intellivision, Gus Rodriguez. Some games he liked were Burger Time, which by the way is available on the Switch. But everything changed one day Pepe Sierra called him. And I will quote a translation of the events as narrated by Goose. Mm-hmm. One day Pepe Sierra called me and said that I should go to the Superama. There's this thing called Nintendo. Go, buy one. Buy every single cartridge you can find. They are between the Bocados and the Tomatoes. There it was. I just bought one. Superama is a Mexican chain of supermarkets and... They were peeling up the games, the games with the avocados and the tomatoes. <laughs> I make an emphasis on this because this says it all about gaming here 30 years ago. Can you imagine go, ah, I want to switch. Where are they? Ah, they're with the potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. W- where else will they be? <laughs> this is kind of a, a random question, but is it just because like gaming was just, is it so widely accepted that like you could sell it in a supermarket or was it just like, they were one of the few stores that were able to hold uh, such a product. Mainly the later. Okay. Because there isn't a place, there wasn't a place where you could sell them. Here in Mexico, it's really sad to say this, but it's easier to get the things in the flea markets and mostly bootlegs. Yeah. Up to this day, and even when you go to the flea markets, it's mm, stolen stuff when it's something original. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there isn't a specific place to sell them. We have Game Planet that is our gaming store chain, but they release all the gear like like games GameStop, is it? Yeah, uh GameStop is in America, yeah. Yes, it's like a worse version of GameStop. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but um I would imagine that, that probably that probably didn't start until much later in the story, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's like twenty years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, like, kind of back in the day, uh, the the main place to buy video games was the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Or the flea markets, as I said. Yes. The funny thing about this is that we have the NES, right? How do you guys call it over there? I, in Japan, we call it the Famicom. In, in the U.S., uh, we call it NES. Here in Mexico, we call it both. Because in the flea markets, you could get it. Uh... And it said Famicom. And you go to the supermarket and it was NES. And it was like, then which is it? <laughs> so you you could get either version of that console. Yes. My older brothers okay. up to this day yeah. call it a Famicom because that's the version that they knew first. Uh, and they would get the Famicom carts, not the NES carts then. Exactly. Yeah. We used to have a bunch of Famicom cards where I think that my grandmother throw them away and uh. <laughs> it still hurts to this day. <laughs> So he uh, goes ahead and, and gets a, um, a Nintendo console, either NES or Famicom, at the supermarket, and he picks up some some titles. It was an NES, and yes, mm-hmm. he says that the game that made him fall in love with Nintendo was the first Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, for Pepe and Goose Luck, Jorge Nogami, the director of Canon, the cameras, the photographing cameras, and one of his clients told them that Nintendo store a Nintendo store was about to open here in the city of Mexico in the World Trade Center. Oh. 
And of course, he wanted Gus and Pepe to do the publicity. They were eager to do it because mm -hmm. they just got the chance to change the perception of video games to some degree. They were told to make a radio campaign and do ads for the newspaper. Mm -hmm. But instead of making the letter, they decided to print, to do a printed bulletin that will begin for free and release a new one every two weeks. And they, they did this to, how can I say this? To help kids complete the games and help other kids to complete the games. They will come every two weeks for the news bulletin. Ah. And they will say, hey, I just beat this game. I just found this cool easter egg, this cool trick, this cool code. And Pepe and Gus will write it down, give them credit, and add it to the next newspaper, news bulletin. Okay, so it's kind of like, um, kind of similar to how Game Freak started, even, because uh, Satoshi uh, Tajiri would um, write this magazine called Game Freak, and, and he would write, include codes and, and, you know, tips and tricks and stuff like that on how to complete games. So, kind of, um, Gus was doing the same thing with uh, this uh, brochure or um, magazine that you, you were saying that was being distributed for free. It wasn't a magazine yet. The, their letter was a magazine, uh, magazine, but let me get to that part. It's the best, one of the best parts of the story. Okay. They did this because they knew that if you got a game yeah. and no one else had it, no one could help you if you got stuck. Mm. Yeah, this was uh, way before the internet, right? So. Yes, it was in the early 90s, late 80s. Mm -hmm. And for example... Goose says that he didn't know that you could burn the trees in The Legend of Zelda until months later after he finished it for the first time. When someone told him, and as soon as he knew that, he went back and burned a whole forest. <laughs> Goose got really excited with all of this. Later on, he started to contact developers and publishers asking them for early parts of the game so he could get an early scoop, start guides earlier, and the fun is thing is that he actually started to get them. This boosted his confidence and he, and he decided to talk directly with Nintendo. Mm. And let me quote Goose again. Nintendo asked us, who is making all of this? So they talked to Se Ito, later Itochu, the corporation who owned the Nintendo distribution rights here in Mexico at that time. A guy called Terohire Kikuchi, who worked for Itochu, Instead of prohibiting us to keep doing what we were doing, because he could do that, ask us, what if instead we do a magazine? We made publicity. We make ads for magazines. A magazine was like making 28 magazine ads per month. So there was no issue. Mm -hmm. So that's how the magazine was born. Now with Kikuchi helping them directly, it was a lot easier. He was getting the games as early as he could. And Gus and Pepe were in charge of the rest. And that's how Club Nintendo was born. Three years later after Nintendo Power. Oh yeah, and, and so that's actually quite quick for Latin America, right? That's like uh, one of the first gaming magazines, I believe, probably. It was the first one, actually. Oh wow. Gaming as a whole was seen as a waste of time. Mm. I think it was like that in a lot of parts of America. But here, I remember once in an interview, Gus was asked, how do you feel about how you impact gaming in Latin America? And he was really happy because he said, earlier on, everyone was saying that's just a waste of time. You will never go far in life if you keep playing video games, go to study, do something else, expand better your time. And no, but now I see a lot of the kids that grew up playing video games. They are now making video games themselves. They are making music. They are making art. They are making 
it became the esports. They they grew playing video games and they go they went far. Yeah, it kind of uh, exploded creativity. Exactly, and he was very happy always he talked about Club Nintendo. He said once, I, every time a kid tells me he learned to read thanks to Club Nintendo, I can feel the hip overwhelmed. So, um, how long did he uh, continue with Club Nintendo? He wasn't part of Club Nintendo during the whole his whole run. He was up until the beginning of the Wii era. Then he dropped off of the magazine to go to some other projects, but he was there until the Wii came out. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to the beginning. Or a little bit later, Club Nintendo's success was huge. Kikuchi knew it, and he wanted to keep the momentum. So he was always sending Goose and Pepe to the biggest events. Mm. They were both there when the Virtual Boy was unveiled, when Pokemon was revealed, when the Super Nintendo came out in Japan, when the GameCube came out. And as I told you, as late as the Wii era, they were still going to the events. Every single computer entertainment show, A3... Uh, which one is this, this one? CES, Consumer Electronic Show. Yes, that one. In fact, he knew Miyamoto in a CES. Oh, okay. I will tell you the story about he and Miyamoto mm, to close, but let's keep on this. He knew a lot of important gaming figures, but then there was Shigeru Miyamoto. He considered him a good friend. He is that he they used to talk a lot when they saw each other. And I can see that. Goose had a lot of charm and charisma and made everyone feel like an important friend, no matter if he was speaking directly to us, to the magazine, or through TV. And this is a good segue for my next topic. The other biggest project by Goose was Nintendo Mania. Kikuchi knew that the magazine was a success, so he wanted to expand it even more. He thought that the TV show was the, was the next logical step. I need to explain something for context. Here in Mexico, there are only two TV stations strong enough to broadcast in the whole country. They are Televisa and TV Azteca. Mm. They have a rivalry so big that by contract, if you work for one, you can work for the other one. At the time, Gus and Pepe were working on Televisa, Mm -hmm. writing, producing, directing, and acting. And also, Televisa was the one editing and distributing Club Nintendo. Mm. The problems came up when Televisa contacted Nintendo. They wanted them to pay the big paid as if they were there a 3 minutes ad, but Nintendo refused. They only agreed to let them use the image, music, characters from their games, and that they should produce the rest. Televisa thought it was a bad idea to have a 3 minute slot dedicated to video games. They thought that no one would watch it. So Kikuchi went to TV Azteca then. Mm. And to this day, Goose is one of the few persons who has managed to work for both companies at the same time. But it was funny. The agreement was that Goose would appear on TV Azteca. It, it was Goose the gamer. He, you could see his face, see him play, see him interact with the kids that went to Nintendo Mania. Mm-hmm. And in Televisa you would see Goose the actor. You will never see his face, but will hear his voice. Yeah. Or if you saw his face, it was beneath a mask or a bunch of makeup. So he did a lot of like dubbing and stuff like that? Ah, yes. That was uh, one of his biggest works. In fact, he was in charge of Adapt Shrek to Spanish. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. 
about the Shrek, Shrek 2, Wreck It Ralph, and the Ghostbusters reboot. reboot. Ah, okay. Hey listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a bit to talk about how you can support Memory Card. Don't you dare hit that skip ahead button. We promise this won't take too long. If you enjoy the show, the easiest way to support us is by simply spreading the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your followers. Tell that weird guy at 7-Eleven. Hey, listen! If you're less of a social butterfly, you can always leave a positive review. Or you can follow us on Twitter at MemCardShow. You can take your support to the next level by joining our community on Patreon. Memory Card patrons receive perks like early ad-free episodes, shoutouts, and early access to bonus content in our Save Files archive. Every little bit helps, so we hope you'll consider pledging a dollar or two. You can find out more on patreon.com slash memcard. That's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. But let's go back to Nintendo Mania. Nintendo Mania came out. It started only with Gus and his son, Javier Rodriguez, who still loves video games as much as his father. And it lasted from 1995 to the 2000s. Mm. I love that he had this catchphrase, Estamos en contact, which is translated as, We are in contact, o sea, like he mixed both English and Spanish in his phrases to sound kind of cool, just like some Japanese do that. Yeah, they, they do that in Japanese songs quite often. They, they all include English and, and lots of catchphrases. Yes, and I find it funny that Goose did the same because that speaks a lot of the kind of geek that he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this made Goose a big deal. He became the face of Nintendo in Mexico. As I told you, Pepe Sierra didn't like to appear on camera as much as him. And Goose was the guy that we saw every Saturday morning. On TV, telling us about the new Mortal Kombat, about the new Battletoads, the, the guy that was excited to play the new Donkey Kong because those graphics looked amazing. So, he was a friend. Like a friend, because he always made you feel like a friend, as I told you. Yeah. All of this made him a big deal, and as I told you, here's another fact. In the USA, USA, the kid got Mike Tyson's punch out. Here in Latin America, we got Chavez, based on the boxer mm. Julio Cesar Chavez. It was just a special edition of Riddick Bow Boxing. The fun mm. fact here is that Gus Rodriguez was a boss in the game. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. They made a whole uh, really big deal about this game here in Mexico, remember? I remember how Riddick because I wasn't born at the time. But they made a bunch of events to... To sell the game, to promote it, and stuff. The classic stuff. So you were saying that he was involved with um, Club Nintendo until the Wii era, and then um, he, also, he was also working on Nintendo Mania up until 2000. What, what was he doing from the 2000s then? Mostly his other stuff. He kept writing for TV, acting, producing, mm-hmm. adapting movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Shrek 2. He, he was always busy. I was, after Nintendo Bandia, he worked writing for a lot of Mexican, Mexican sitcoms. He also adapted a bunch of movies. The most famous one being the ones I told you already. Mm. He worked also on various gaming shows like Power Up Gamers, Zero Control, Retro Game, Game Evolution. But he wasn't as prominent as in Nintendo Mania. He was just producing. The funny thing is that all of those shows were no of Televisa. 
Ah, ok. De Wanda's Rejected Nintendo Mania. And this time, those, the, those shows weren't only about Nintendo games, too. Mm. Goose like it, uh, a lot of games, a lot. I think that his favorite non-Nintendo game was actually The, La the Last of Us, the first, the, obviously the first one. And he was always looking for games. He, it's something that I really like about him. He wasn't the kind of guy that... Well, he was, but later on, he changed his mind. Because one famous time, he went to a show to defend the Super Nintendo which was pitted against the Genesis, and he felt humiliated because they made it look like the Genesis was the better console. Ah, because of the, the graphics and the, and the sound. Exactly, exactly, all the stuff. And he felt so humiliated that he dedicated a whole issue of Club Nintendo to say what the Super Nintendo is in fact better than the Genesis. <laughs> so he, he was very much involved in the, in the console wars. Yeah, it was impossible to not be involved in the console wars during those years, I believe. And especially with all that Sega publicity that yeah. Sega does what Nintendo and and especially because it was the job of it was Yugo's job to promote the Nintendo. So he had to answer back to all that attack from Sega. Mm -hmm. But later on he changed his mind. He got a PlayStation, he started to appreciate other kind of games more. Yeah. Something that we should do. And let's talk about his relationship with Shigeru Miyamoto. And also a little bit about the relationship between yeah. the Club Nintendo Magazine uh, from here from Mexico and Nintendo Power. Okay. And it's Goose says that he was uh, the kind of person that as soon as Miyamoto saw him, he was excited to go to him and greet him. They knew each other during a consumer electronic show, the, 91, the 94 one. And there he also met the Nintendo Power's girl Teldin and Leslie Swan. The later at the time I think was speech voice actress at the time, I'm not sure. And after that, boot magazines would trade info with each other every time they could. Later on, uh, Gail and Leslie were the ones who introduced him to Miyamoto. And this is what he had to say about the very first time he met with Shigeru Miyamoto. He is a human. People at Nintendo had made him so unreachable. He was walking a, land, a normal human being. I didn't know how the meeting would be, so I was wearing a tie and a suit. All of my ties have Mickey Mouse on them. He told me that he collects Mickey Mouse stuff, so I gave him my tie. He, Miyamoto, said to me, no, 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 no. Let me give you an advice. Never give out anything from your collection. To which I replied, sir, I swear I have this one twice. It was blue with some inconspicuous mickeys. I insisted, please, I give it to you. He, Miyamoto, gave me his card autographed, and six months later, I had the chance to see him again, and I was wearing my tie, and the first thing he said was, now I believe you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a, a charming story. Yeah, he saw Miyamoto many times during the past 26 years, and... He was there during the press conference when Miyamoto appeared on the Time magazine. The magazine said, The Spielberg of video games. Goose says that he felt that it was unfair. He later told Miyamoto, Spielberg should be the one known as the Miyamoto of the movies. Mm, yeah. Goose claims, well, well, claimed that Miyamoto talks a perfect English, but he likes to play dumb and use a translator to confuse people. I don't know if you believe that to be true. Personally, I don't believe it. Goose likes to play jokes on everyone. Like to play jokes on everyone. 
So I don't know about this one, but yeah, I, I've been um I was doing a lot of research into Miyamoto recently, and this is kind of a side topic. But I know that um there's one time where people were asking him questions in English, and um, Bill Trinan was next to him translating. Every time that uh, person asked a question, Miyamoto pretty much understood and was able to answer right away in Japanese. So I don't say I wouldn't say that he understands perfect English because there's a, there's definitely a couple times where he um, didn't fully understand the question, but I think he understands quite a bit. At least enough to communicate. Yeah, I think um, Miyamoto just doesn't speak English um, just because he doesn't want to create confusion in case he gets something wrong. I think that's why he doesn't publicly. Makes sense now that you put it in that way. I think uh, Masahiro Sakurai is the same way. Like they under- He understands a little bit of English, but he doesn't want to create confusion. One time the Club Nintendo crew went to Japan and one of the crewmates, the crewmates got Goose a Mario game from Akihabara. Mm. He says that it was a really old one and it was a pre-NES era Mario game. I don't know which one could it be I was investigating, but I'm not sure which one was or if such thing actually exists. But he says that since he was in Japan already and he was going to meet with Miyamoto, with Miyamoto anyway, he took the game with him to ask Miyamoto to sign it. Gus says that the face that Miyamoto put was amazing. He was really surprised with him having that. And as Gus said, those little details about oppression to video games are the ones that made his relationship with Miyamoto stronger one. This quote that comes next is the last one about them both. This one is about the last time they saw each other. Mm-hmm. The last time we saw each other, he stood up to greet me, Miyamoto, because I hadn't seen him in a while. All of his words pushing me away and said that I couldn't get any closer. And I said, why me? He's the one looking for troubles. The misunderstanding didn't escalate more and it seems like they shared a few words only. But it seems that what worried the worst was the fact that Miyamoto got too excited when he saw Goose, which weirded them out because he's always so calm and unconcerned. I I can I believe that Miyamoto got excited every time he saw Goose. As I told you, he was a really charismatic person. He knew how to make someone feel good and pass a good time. Yeah, Goose was able to to bring people together. Mm-hmm. He he. I always wanted to people to feel part of something. He hated when people felt excluded because, especially in this hobby, it was easier to for us to feel excluded at the time. Yeah, definitely. I like this story about one time he went to A3. There were some Mexicans that told him, Hey, Goose, we have this special pass, this special B pass that we got from somewhere. They were stolen, but they didn't want to tell that. And we wanted to give you one so you could get an extra scoop. And, and he said, no, no, no. Sorry, but no. He told the person that was with him the following. He says, never do that. Never accept something stolen. Always work for what you, what you think that you deserve. Because imagine, if I take those stolen VIP passes, what's the people at Nintendo going to say about me? They're not going to talk about me. They're going to talk about the Mexicans. I don't want to put him back like my people. Yeah. He he was that kind of person. He always wanted to do the right thing. He always motivated the people to be better. Yeah. When he died, of course, a lot of people gave a few words and felt sad. But the ones I feel are the one word nothing are Eugenio Derbez. Probably the most famous Mexican comedian and one mm-hmm. of his closest friends. Eugenio Derbez also did voice acting for the Chavez video game. 
he was Donkey in the Mexican adaptation of Shrek. And the other person worth nothing, I think, is Charles Martinet, mm. a good friend of Goose. And also, I think that you might know him for a few voice acting roles he has done in the past. He he felt really sad. I remember he gave out, I think, three tweets talking about that. And I, it, it worked me out because Charles isn't a kind of person that tweets about his personal life that often. Yeah, Charles is pretty uh, positive on social media. Yes, and see him talk about the death of Goose. Three tweets is still three more than I expected, to be honest. He was still kind of young. He was only 61, is that right? It was close to his 62nd uh, birthday. Just a month away. When he passed away, he he wanted to spread his ashes on a, on a fireflies sanctuary here in Mexico. He says that he wanted to be one with the fireflies. To fly and shine one more time. One last time. We call him our godfather. Godfather, le decimos nuestro padrino. We call him our godfather because he's the godfather of gaming for us here in Latin America. And I really hope that I can make justice to his work with what I just said, with what I just told you. I'm really nervous because... I'm nothing compared to us. <laughs> well, it's it's okay. Like uh, I think you know, talking about him and and bringing more exposure to his life and and work is doing justice and helping people be aware of of his um you know overwhelming positive contributions to the gaming world. Mm, I I hope so. And if you ever wanted to tackle that in this topic again, I can go to search for the magazines and see everything I can find about Goose. <laughs> they are mostly, all of them are online, and I wouldn't mind reading through them. And I want to give a special shout out to Club Nintendo. I, this, this joke in Spanish is perfect because Nintendo, you know the word, but in Spanish, the phrase Nintendo means I don't even understand. Oh, yes. <laughs> so people call them the Nintendos early on. And still to this day, some still call them the Nientiendos. <laughs> the I don't even understand. It's a, it's a joke that I love to this day because it, it's so funny. So, 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 I don't know how to explain it. I like it. And there's this, this website called Club Nintendo, which has an archip of the, of the five, I think, five first years of the magazine. So if someone who hearing us that can read Spanish wants to go through them, feel free to do so. And also I want to give a special shout out to Código Spaghetti. It's a news website that has many articles talking about Goose. Most of the info I got it from there. The Club Nintendo Magazine also has a forum, a website for me, well, the Club Nintendo forums. They were a big part of my life thanks to them. I have known a lot of important people, the guys or uh, the guys of Monkey Over Rhinos, the other two guys. I met them through Club Nintendo forums and a lot of really special friends. I have met them through them. Goose made a big impact in my life if it wasn't obvious. Yeah. I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing the story of Goose and for um, bringing light to all this information in, in English. And thank you for translating so much of it. I, I know uh, as a translator myself that it's, it's so difficult to translate all this information. 
yeah, don't worry, it was a pleasure. I just want more people to know about Goose. If you ever feel like talking again about him or Dragon Ball Z, I'm here. <laughs> That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by the talented chiptune composer Gemitar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Gemitar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Gemitar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered support and memory card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we are supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jose Ocosta, Taylor, and Rob Lawler. All of our Patreon information can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back very soon with some gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon. <laughs>